Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The Devil Made Me Do It is a classic comedy line, but for some who try to follow Jesus, the line becomes, the devil kept me from doing it. Satan and his demons many times get a bit too much credit for our own sinful behavior. Satan didn't have to force Adam and Eve to sin. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Unseen, with part two of The Unseen Strategy. Thank you for joining us today. When it comes to the spiritual realm, how do you see yourself? What is your image of you in a spiritual nature? Or put it this way, if you were to have an artist to some way draw your picture to depict spiritually how you see yourself, what descriptive elements would you give to the artist to say, you need to not just see me physically, but portray me in this way? What would you say? Now, some of us would immediately think of ourselves, and if honest, we'd say, I think of myself like a beggar. I feel like I'm just begging God to do for me and to help me. Some people might say, well, portray me as an orphan. Portray me as one who uh, looks like I'm alone a bit. Some might say, uh, you probably ought to have me looking a little bit fearful, as if I'm afraid of the God that I walk with. Maybe some of us would say, well, I think probably for me it might be better. uh, You have me as a hard laborer working hard for God. There are a thousand different words we could use to describe the different ways that the artist might depict us. I'm going to suggest to you that whatever came to your mind and how you would describe yourself most honestly is going to have about as big an impact on your spiritual journey as anything else. You'd be amazed the difference it's going to make. Amazed. It's going to be the design of my teaching today that our self-esteem spiritually as we would see ourselves where an artist to draw us might be reshaped today and reshaped in a way that could change us forever. That's my prayer and goal. We're in a series, if you're new with us, the series is entitled The Unseen. We've been talking about a number of areas of the unseen realities of this world. We've been talking about angelic beings. We've talked about the evil one, often called the devil, Satan. We've talked about his three allies. Many people, most Christians, don't even recognize who the allies are, what they are, as they exist in the world in which we live. Uh, We've talked about the armor of God, the various pieces of armor that God has given to us so that as we are in this conflict with the unseen, that we are well protected. This last week, we began the first of two parts dealing with the unseen strategy And what we've heard so far is that there are three schemes that the evil one has. One we looked at, that is to tempt. We looked at the second, which is to deceive. And there we we kind of stopped in the middle of it and said, we want to come back, touch a little bit more on that. And now today we want to move into the accuse side of his scheme as he wants to accuse us. It is my hope today that you're going to get equipped. I want you to think of that, equipped. 
I want to equip you. If it is true, the Bible is real and it's accurate. And we believe it is. And if it is true, there's an unseen reality that we have to deal with every day of our life. It would behoove every one of us to be prepared and equipped to know how do I fight against the strategy of the evil one himself who wants to harm me, wants to hurt me. If I believe that's true, man, we want to find out how do you get there? Let's pray now and let's ask God that he would do just that, okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do ask that on this day that we might find ourselves well equipped for those of us that are yet to put a real faith and trust in Christ, I pray that we would be equipped today to figure out how to do that. For those of us that walk with you and who believe your word, which says that we don't fight just the things of flesh and blood, but we fight against the unseen realities of this world, the evil one and his hosts. In light of that, we pray, would you equip us to walk well with you, to have a healthy walk? Would you reshape, reshape the very image that we have of ourselves to be in the likeness of what it truly is? Take us to that end, we pray. And we thank you in the matchless name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. We've already talked about how he tempts. I'm not going to say any more about that. No review there. I think it's uh, fairly straightforward. We've talked about number two, his deception, how he deceives. And we started last week as I talked about the two common approaches. And I just want to rehearse very quickly what those two were so we can come in and add a third now. The first was that his deception is to convince us to withdraw from the reality of moral necessity. And that's to say, I can't. Even with God's help, I just can't obey. That's what he wants us to believe. He wants to deceive us in that matter. How many people have I talked to over the years? How many people have I talked to? And they say, I'm just sorry, but I can't. I'm trying to obey, but I just can't do what God says to do. I can't stop what I'm doing right now. I just can't do it. I say, are you a Christian? Well, yes, I'm a Christian. And you're telling me you can't. I'm not buying that because we read in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, there's no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. And I'll say to my friends, why don't you put it this way? I haven't yet come to the place where I am, have learned how, am doing what it takes, whatever you want to fill in the blank, I don't care. But please, as a Christian, don't say you can't because you're being deceived. You can, you just don't know how or you're not willing. I don't know what the issue is, but it's not that you can't. That is the great deception of the evil one. There's a second deception, totally opposite side. It's to convince us to reconstruct reality concerning morality. In other words, to say, I can, and I can do it without God's help. 
I can add a righteousness to me, a self-righteousness. I, I can be moral. I can be religious. I can do something. I'll just reconstruct reality as relates to morality. I'll just re restructure it. And I'll think differently than what is real. And hopefully convince myself and feel good about how I'm living. Now, those two are common plans. Very, very, very common. What I want to do now is I want to add a third not so common. This may not relate to as many, certainly not to as many, and, and maybe not to any of you at this point. But I think it would be good at least to throw this out before we get to the big discussion of his accusations. The third is to convince us we are morally helpless because of demonic presence. Thus saying, I can't because the demonic power is just too strong for me. I cannot whip the demonic presence. Now, as I move into this just briefly, I want to suggest that every one of us, every one of us probably find ourselves a little confused and questioning about the scriptures where Jesus casts out demons. You don't go very far in the reading of any of the four Gospels that you don't see him casting out a demon. It leaves us now with the question, do we still cast out demons? If we're not, why are we not casting out demons? If we are to be casting out demons, how do we cast out demons? I believe it is some who are the most spiritually alert, who are truly anxious for the things of God who probably tend to be deceived in this arena, perhaps in a greater way, because it's on our mind, the demonic realities, where much of the Christian world is naive to anything going on. And I think it would just be good to, to touch a little bit here, just to touch down for a minute on this, for those that this will be very beneficial for. There's an author, David Pallison. It's a one of the great uh, teachers of God's truth, great author, graduate school professor of theology, great theologian. He writes a book that I was grieved to find out. I've been recommending this for years. I'm grieved to hear that it's not in print any longer, uh, but it's called Power Encounters. I think it's an outstanding work. I want to draw on some of his great insights into this whole arena and do it in a very summary way and so that we can touch it and then move on and get to the other issues. I'd like to quote what he has to say, perhaps a good summary of his teaching. The evil one seeks to convince us that people's sinful behaviors can be dealt with by casting out demons. That's what the evil one would love for us to think. However, the heart cannot be inhabited because of one's sin or an ancestor's sinful behavior bringing moral evil into our lives. So what he's suggesting, and I agree full-heartedly, we never should say, hey, I can't because I'm dealing with the demonic forces right now, and I just can't do it. Now, what we have to do is distinguish between two types of evil. The first I'm going to call, and he calls, moral evil. I'll put both of these up. Moral evil versus situational evil. It's just what it sounds like. Moral evil would be the sin that we struggle with. If I lust, there's a moral evil. If I kill, there's a moral evil. If I'm selfish, a moral evil. I don't know what it may be, 
all kinds of moral evil in the world. Or it may be that I'm not dealing with a moral evil, I'm dealing with a situational evil. Meaning perhaps I have cancer and I'm battling the evil of cancer. It's a situation that's very evil. Uh, Maybe there is a, a problem with blindness or deafness. As you see in the Bible where Jesus would heal the people in situational issues of evil and he would cast out. So you have two types of evil. Now here's something I think we ought to agree on. And I'm not going to be quite so dogmatic on the next point. But on this one, I think we ought to agree on this one. There is nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, where Jesus, the apostles, anyone deals with moral evil by casting out a demon. Never. So that one I think we can set aside and say, if somebody says you have the demon of gluttony and that's why you can't deal with your weight, well, just say thank you, but no thank you. I'm not buying that. Oh, you have the demon of selfishness. You've got to cast that demon out if you want to be selfless. You just be polite right before you hit them. Just be polite. (laughs) Push them away. Say, no, 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 no. I'm not buying that. Why is it that Jesus never dealt with any, any moral evil that way? Because it was not a demonic issue. Now, When it comes to situational evil, we have to raise the question, who is responsible for situational evil? That's an important question for Christians to answer. I mean, we're always saying, did God allow this? And did God do this? And why did God do that? And where do I see God in this? Did God have power? Did he not? If we want to be true to Scripture without digging deeply and teaching this, we have to say you find Scriptures where situational evil is attributed to God And you see other scriptures where a different situational evil, it's attributed to the evil one. So you have to discern which is this at this point. I've often at this place quoted Johnny Erickson Tata. I I love how she puts it. And her co-author in a book on suffering, she puts it so clearly. She says, God ordains what he hates to accomplish what he loves. At that point, I was going to just move on. I've taught that before. Let's move on. But this morning in my own devotions, I'm sitting there reading Psalm 105. And I say, wow, what a classic illustration of situational evil that God brings upon his people. Always with the intention of good. And I'm reading middle of the chapter or so of the psalm. And it says, he, God, turned their, the enemies of Israel, turned their heart to hate his people. And let me tell you, that hatred brought great pain to the people of God. If you're one of those that was the recipient of the hate of those that God actually ordained that they would be hurt, oh my goodness, you say, well, well, God, that, that came because of something you chose. But you didn't have to read very far before you see the reason. It says, so that they, the people of God, might keep his statutes. He ordains what he hates to accomplish what he loves. So now the question is, as we seek to discern, is this a situational evil from God? Is this a situational evil from the evil one? 
Now, do we cast out in certain conditions for situational evil like they did in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and even into Acts? What do we think about that? And here I'm going to say, I'm going to be very, very careful to suggest that it's a challenging question. If you ask, where does your pastor stand on this? I think no. Am I perhaps wrong on that? I say yes. Maybe I am. I don't know. But I think it's at least fair for you as you're in the debate as a Christian and trying to figure out as you're dealing with issues, you know, does everyone agree that if you've got a situational evil in your life, then therefore it must be a, a, a demonic or it might be, and if it is, you need to have the casting out? I don't think so. Here's the reason I don't think so. I agree with Pallison and what he teaches. And that is this, isn't it interesting that after the apostles, once canon is closed, the apostles are now no longer, you have the epistles that are going to follow the teaching after Christ has come, has died, all is over now with the resurrection, that you don't see any command ever to cast out and there's no instruction to do so. In fact, all the instruction, as he uses the term, moves to what's called the classic mode. What do I mean by that? Confession, repentance, embracing truth, faith, obedience, submission, uh, resisting. You have all this teaching to say, here is the way you deal with life from this point on. Now, will the evil one be perhaps a part of what? Yes. Do you cast out for that? I'm going to conclude this little portion by raising a few questions that, that he raises, I think, to help figure this out. Number one, and again, this is in a realm of what about situational evil? I hope we'll put moral evil away and say no, no casting out. How do we deal with situational evil? If you're going through incredibly deep, harassing problems that will never end, do we say the evil one has nothing to do with it? Oh, no, 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 no. But would there never be a need to cast out? That would be the question. Here's what he asked. Should demons be identified by name? This, I think, we ought to be fairly consistent with and say no. In that it never happens in Scripture. I know the case uh, proof text that's used, Mark chapter 5, 9. But if you note that text, a number of demons are identified but not names. And certainly not the names of sin. So again, if somebody says, you, the reason you're struggling is you have the sin of and they name a, 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 a demon of and they name the name of that demon being a sin, that's where I go, uh-uh-uh, don't go there. Number two question. Number two question, can we inherit demons from ancestors? Well, by the way, that teaching, it comes out of an occult theology. It does not come out of a biblical theology historically. We would say, no, you don't inherit the demons. The proof text or the scripture that goes to, they say Exodus 20. In verse 5, it says that the sins of the father are visited upon, you know, the children to the third and fourth generation. But if you listen to that carefully, you know it says the sin, not, not the demon. It's the sin. Do I carry uh, sin in my life that I have to deal with and struggle with? because of my parents? Well, certainly we all do in light of our foreparent, the original parents, but even my own parents to the third and fourth generation, sure. 
We all do. Uh, the issues, I struggle with issues because my parents sinned in this way and I lived under that and I saw it and I, I have issues now I have to deal with that are related to a, a previous generation. But it's not a demon has been handed out, handed down from generation to generation. Number three, should we bind demons? We often hear that. We want to bind the evil one right now. Now, we can ask God to, to deal with the evil one. What, what binding, does that mean casting out? Does that mean throwing out? I, I'm going to suggest no. The one text that's used there, and so much is made of this, is Mark uh, or Matthew 12, 29. That's a proof text that is actually used, and it is a parable to begin with. And the parable talks about uh, the tying up of the strong one. The tying up. And many use that, okay, that's Satan, we bind him. But you need to understand the context of this particular text here is describing Jesus' cosmic work as Messiah. It's not talking about our work. It's talking about his work. So there we have to be very, very cautious. Now we come to two questions I'm going to throw in that I, this might be worth just considering. Maybe his answers are good or not. If casting out is not now biblical, why did it work for me? Well, first of all, maybe the reason it worked for you is you were dealing with a situational evil and you can cast out demons in that regard. Maybe that teaching is a more accurate view. It's not the view I hold. He suggests as an answer because of various elements of the classic mode are so often used in an exorcism, as you would call it, a casting out, that it's really those elements that were the dynamic elements, not the ones you thought as there's an intermingling of those elements. Which the fourth, fifth question, last question, what about the phenomena of demonic manifestation? Well, what about all of those things that appear and, and so forth and so on? Well, number one, it could be simply because the evil one is, is, is seeking to, to show forth himself in a way to deceive and otherwise. In fact, one of the reasons he says two possibilities, Satan cooperating to predict produce special effects maybe i don't know maybe highly charged emotions maybe but all of that just to say why don't we get exposed as the people of god to not just the more modern teaching that uh, or historic modern doesn't matter but a more common teaching and something that is a totally different approach that at least you need to look at hear all of this to say and we'll move to his accusation Here's what I say, as it deals with moral evil, don't even think that that is because of something that requires a casting out of the evil one. Don't even go there. Now, you study the situational side. Does there need to be a casting out? Does there not? You just want to know what your pastor, because if I'm in a Q&A with a smaller group, you're asking me these kind of questions, they say, yeah, you want to know what your pastor thinks? That's what I think. Can I be wrong? Yes, there was one other time I was. <laughs> could be, could be. All right, all of that. And some of you are going, what did he just say? <laughs> That's all right, because you're going to know what I'm saying now, all right? Because I want to close with his accusation. He accuses the third scheme of his strategy to accuse. I don't want you to be confused if you've been a part of this series 
under the title of The Unseen Enemy, I taught then that the evil one no longer accuses anybody who is a follower of Jesus. He does not accuse anybody before God any longer. And I came out of the book of Revelation, and we taught there where Satan was cast out, not as the first casting out, but a second type of casting out where he is no longer allowed as he was before Job or before God talking about Job to be before him as he once was. He could no longer, in essence, he could not any longer come before God and call your name or my name and say he or she is not, is not one of yours. You claim him as yours. You say she is yours, but the truth of it is there's been no redemption for their sin. They still have their sin to deal with. The truth it was, that's because there had been no redemption. The blood had not been spilled on the cross. And therefore, he could say, I'm going to kill every child, and you can send your son Jesus to this earth. I don't care what you want to do. I'll kill him before he can do that work, and he will not he will not do what he says he's going to do. But he did. And as soon as he did, God says, bye-bye. You will no longer, you will no longer accuse any of my brethren before me, day or night. That's the teaching. Does he accuse you and me personally, individually? Oh, yeah. Great strategy. If he could get you and me to feel guilt on an ongoing basis, if he could get you and me to feel shame constantly, really, what good are we going to be to the kingdom and to God himself? He said, I got you. If I can deceive you in your guilt and shame, I got you. And that's what he seeks to do. Now, we have to deal with that. All right, how do we deal with such an issue? Well, first of all, we need to know that the way he is going to accuse us, give it up. Why try? Some of us are feeling it so much that I am worthless. Before you, God, I know I'm worthless. I don't matter to you. How could I matter to you? And you feel it so strong. And some, because of various issues of past and family life and all, you're feeling it so strong. It's real because you sense it. You feel it. You say, I know it's real. You're being deceived. So how do we deal with it? I'm going to suggest this. Let's go back to my introductory comments. You remember the portrait that had to be drawn? What portrait did you see? Did you see yourself like this? Afraid? Did you see yourself like this? God, give it to me. I got to have it. Did you see yourself like, oh, I'm lost. I don't have anybody. I'm all alone. Uh, you know, did you find yourself just sweating and working so hard and just doing everything for God you can? If so, man, he's going to take us right on down. What you and I have to do is we have to get a different image. We have to get the picture that he wants us to have, and that's the picture of us clothed in his righteousness. I'm saying this at the end of every message through this series. I'm going to keep hitting it and hitting it until hopefully we get this. We have got to have a self-image 
where we see ourselves clothed in his righteousness. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. Sure, we've got to think correctly. Christian, are you clothed in God's righteousness? And if you say, well, the way I've been sinning, I don't know. No, 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 you haven't yet gotten it. The day you become a Christian, you are clothed in his righteousness. And then we've got to stare at that picture and stare at it and stare at it until when somebody says, how do you see yourself? Your immediate first thought is clothed in the righteousness of God, robed in righteousness. It's got to be our self-image. If it's not, then he is going to deceive us, accuse us, and we will find guilt and shame just the major part of our Christian life. Now, how do we deal with that? Let me suggest that, first of all, for those who are non-followers, let me address you for a minute. I love to call you seekers because if you're here, you're probably seeking answers to the faith, wanting to understand Christianity. Let me suggest if you are in that category, not yet a true follower of his, then it is right and it is good that you see yourself as naked morally. That you see yourself and experience guilt and shame. In that sense, guilt and shame can be your greatest ally to drive you to the cross to find the robe of righteousness. So that's good. You don't want to be other. If you're not his and all of this is true, you want to experience the nakedness of your moral life. I think there are only three ways that we can cover it up. One, we can cover it up as we've been talking about this withdrawal from reality of moral necessity. We just simply say, I can't get better. Even with God's help, I can't get better, so forget it. Why even try? That's one approach. There's a second approach. We've already talked about it. It's to reconstruct reality as it regards morality. And now we begin to think this way. Oh, I can be good enough even without God's help. I'll just be moral and religious. I'll just get better. I'll do good. Or the third way, which I heartily recommend, is you run to him and say, Father, clothe me. Clothe me in your righteousness. And when you get clothed by his righteousness, then no longer to be naked, no longer to experience shame and guilt. Got to see yourself that way. Let me move to you who are Christians. Those of us that are Christians, what do we have to do? We have to see ourselves as we are, not to see ourselves naked, but to see ourselves clothed in his righteousness. And we can't allow, hear this, we cannot allow the father of lies to deceive us, to start thinking, I, I guess I just have to see myself morally naked. Or I guess the only option, other option is, I need to see myself in a homemade cloak of self-righteousness. I'll cover myself. I'm not going to see myself naked, but I'm just going to make my own clothing. And I'll just do it with some good old self-righteousness and I'll feel better about myself. And maybe my shame and my guilt will dissipate a little bit. Don't go there. Here's the way I like to think about it. I, these are my words. A follower of Christ 
cannot be rightly accused of being out of favor with God. But hear this, not because we follow Christ. Do you hear that? If you say, oh yeah, I can't be accused of being out of favor with God. Why? Because I follow Christ. Don't think that. Because you're not going to follow him too well from time to time. And you're going to say, oh, now maybe I can be accused because I'm not following so well. But it's rather, but because we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, evidenced by following Christ. Now there's a different deal. You see that? There's a lot of difference between those two. I hope you'll know that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that can cause him not to accept you. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And he loves you enough. Hear this, this is not contradictory. He loves you enough that he will know your sin. He will be grieved by your sin. He will be angered regarding your sin. Only because he loves you. But it will never diminish his love or his acceptance. And some are believing. I keep repeating this. Some are believing. Oh, because I'm loved and accepted. He doesn't even know my sin. He doesn't. Well, wait, wait, wait. It, it says that he remembers our sin no more. As far as the east is from the west. Sure. That's how he treats us in relationship to it. No. It's as if there is no sin. The way he accepts us. The way he embraces us. But he loves us enough even as a parent would love his own child to hate the very sin and to be angered by the sin of the child that so hurts the one loved so much. So I say let's start living in light of our robe. Let's start recognizing our sin and let's repent of the sin. Let's use the classic mode, the things that God has given us. And let's deal with it appropriately. Let's, let's you know, repent. Let's submit. Let's put on the armor of God. Let's resist Watch the evil one flee from us. And I think then we found the secret to the spiritual pilgrimage that's truly healthy. Let me close. Again, as I said last week, is there anybody here now that's about to yield to a major league temptation? Is there anybody here about to leave their spouse? Anybody here about to Yield and give in to an extramarital or premarital sexual relationship? Is there anybody here that's saying, oh, I'm about to, I'm about to? Uh uh. Don't be tempted. Don't be tempted. How about, secondly, the deceit? Anybody here right now biting that lure of Satan's deception? Anybody here right now saying, you know, Christianity? It's not going to make a difference in my life. I've tried it before. It'll make no difference. Anybody here saying, you know what? I can be okay. I can be okay with God and still hold on to this sin right here. Oh, I can hold on to my wealth and riches and, 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 and honor it in a way, as, even as I would honor God, I would just, I'll just do the both and. Anybody deceived by thinking, you know what? I think my religious experiences of the past Make me okay with God in the future. Don't be deceived. Anybody here deceived to think that his love has just got to be conditional based on how you perform? That's a deception. And lastly, accusation. Anybody here right now buying into the accusation that you're just not worthy? That you're not, you have no worth before God? 
Let me tell you. If you're dealing with any of those three, I would hope now that you might have a handle on how to deal with it. And that you might again go back to that portrait and you might stare at it just a little bit longer. And when you stare at that portrait and see yourself clothed in his righteousness, it's going to make all the difference in the world in how you deal with his temptation, his deceit, and his accusation. Good self-esteem. It'll make all the difference in the world. Next, I'm going to be back to this series. We're going to close it out with a, with a uh, subject matter that is very important. And I think particularly if you have youth, young people, high school, teenagers, whatever, we're going to talk about war zones, unseen war zones, particularly some of the war zones that are grabbing the minds and hearts of the younger generation as well as the older. But this is so critically important that they get this in their mind to say there are war zones that I have to be careful of. And if I walk into that war zone, I'm likely to experience damage. And we want to make sure we're doing this biblically and not just, oh, I think this sin and that sin. But how do you determine what is and what is not a true unseen war zone? We'll deal with that to close out the series. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, we turn to you now and ask that you would grant us uh, to be able to fight well against the temptations, deceit, and accusations of the evil. And may we know the strategy. May that be a step in the right direction just to know the strategy. May we identify it as we experience it. And may we combat it, even as we've talked about resisting, putting on the full armor, having the self-esteem image of ourselves as we are in your righteousness. I pray now for our friends here that say, oh, I, I sense the nakedness that I experience morally, and I want to be covered. Would you now just let them slip into that robe, and would you allow them to experience the warmth and the security that comes from being in your love, knowing that now, Nothing will separate them from your great love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're blessed. I pray, Father, you will have equipped us well here where we can fight for you to your honor and glory, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.